0: Thanks for joining us again on Series 5 of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is former manager Martin Foyle, whose two-and-a-half-year spell saw two Wembley trips and an FA Cup run. Few could have predicted such a turnaround on the pitch as Foyle took over a faltering side who looked more likely to drop out of the conference through relegation than gain promotion from it. However, Martin Foyle soon moulded York City into a force and his one full season was one supporters fully enjoyed. This series is proudly sponsored by Planning Prospects who are town planning and development consultants who specialise in obtaining planning permissions for their clients across the country. If you have land or property where you want to get planning permission then they may be able to help. For more information then please visit their website planningprospects.co.uk This podcast is a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a station that has broadcast York City content as early as the 1950s. Please help us to keep providing such an important service by donating, even if only a small amount, to justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio. justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio. For now, though, here is former York City manager Martin Foyle.
1: Okay, first of all, it's, it's really great to speak to you, Martin, and uh, I'm sure we'll get onto York City in due course, but I wanted to touch upon your playing career, particularly your time at Port Vale, where it's clear you had a great affinity with that club from scoring at Anfield, Goodison, Wembley, key goals against Stoke and Brighton to win promotion, and there's a little YouTube montage I was watching last night called Vale <laughs> legend Martin Foyle. That must have been a real happy time for you in your career
2: yeah it probably come towards the sort of like the latter part of my career really you know because uh, I started off at Salampton five years there learning off some fantastic professionals you know I mean you look back uh, Peter Shilton Kevin Keegan Mike Shannon Mick Mills uh, and, you know they, they were all there you know and you watch their dedication of, of how they trained and, and how they prepared for games was was great to take on you know but obviously I played probably got involved in about 16-17 games you know which was great I was lucky to, to score Man United on my second game uh, third game was we had to stop Liverpool winning the title we beat them 3-2 so I was lucky I played in some really really good exciting games so uh, to start your career that way it's not bad but then we we know it always goes flat for young boys you know what I mean trying to make a living you know to stay at that level so I had to go to Older not had to but I wanted to go and play games which is a lot of people and experienced people told me to do so I went to Aldershot for I think it was about 18 months and I loved it it was uh, great people again you had the chance to score goals and then I got the opportunity to go back with Oxford into the top league again and again a good solid four years there scoring goals met a lot of good people uh, we've done so well but actually, it was a small club in a, in a massive massive league and after about two and a half years they got relegated and I just wanted to change the opportunity to go to Port Powell with John Ludge and and to be honest I never looked back it was just such a family club and I think the missus and the kids settled up here and I did have lots of opportunities to move but I thought no happy off the pitch as well uh, meant a lot to me
1: and uh, and some of those moments were, were alongside John McCarthy who joined Port Vale from York City he, he's a, a massive York City legend I just wonder what, what he was like to play alongside
2: no John was an absolute diamond of a person we hit it off from day one so glad he, he made those uh, steps to the next level because he God did he work hard you know what I mean we had and Gareth Ainsworth and Steve Guppy, so we had some fantastic wingers. Uh, But John was just ultimately hard work. He was an absolute joy for the right back because he'd be covering behind him, running past him. So I think the right back Andy Hill was, uh, I think he'd give him another three or four years on his career. John could cross the ball; he can score a goal, and obviously have a good time at York. And obviously he's doing himself well. You know, he's at Southport now, I think, as assistant manager. So, but a good person, really, really top bloke. So that's the highest compliment I could pay
1: him. I mean, in an era of sort of four-four-two, with with Steve Guppy on one wing and John McCarthy on the other, it must have been a striker's dream for the likes of yourself.
2: It, it was. Trust me, you know what I mean, because you knew the crosses were coming in. Whether they're probably, we keep saying old school, but it's not old school. You know, they actually had the desire to get to the byline. And cross. Whereas today's swingers are a little bit softer. They check inside. I think the in-swinging cross is just as good, but nowhere near for a striker. So they took the hits when they got to the byline, but they got up again, rubbed themselves down, and, and carried on. But that's why they went to the top level.
1: And, and your first managerial job was with Port Vale. Were you always planning to go into management, or was it the fact that it was Port Vale you built up this real strong affection with that that made you go down that route? No,
2: no. It, it was strange. I had no interest in, in coaching whatsoever. I enjoyed it. Thought I was. How can you say I? football brain, I thought I had the intelligence to know what was going on behind the scenes. But then me me former manager at Oxford, Brian Horton, he came into Portville when I was probably what, 35, 36 and straight away he said, No, you are coming alongside me, you know, I want you I want you on my staff. So big credit to Brian, whether he saw something in me. But you know, I took the reserves, a little bit of the youth team, but the first team. So it was just really sort of like a slow progression. And then the following year I had the opportunity, to, well, I want to stay with the first team or well, did I want to take the youth team? And I thought from my progression, I, I wanted to take the your team you know because it's actually a team you, you know actually your crew you know you do everything what you want to do line your teams up make, make decisions so it's a mini manager's role so uh, but i started to enjoy it you know and then brian was still trying to get me with the first team blessed he said well i'll put you i'll put you on the players contracts, so though just in case we need you and then the team was struggling and then he was calling me out the youth team <laughs> playing for the first team <laughs> and it was so funny so I'll get 100 quid to go to Man City and go, <laughs> come on and play for it I loved it mind you, you know, I mean, I'd never swap it but it was so funny the amount of games that I actually played when I was actually
1: a youth coach <laughs> you, you played under you mentioned Brian Brian Horton there and you'd played under uh, Laurie McMenemy and, and John Rudge obviously for, for such a long time were any of those managers sort of influential on your managerial style I, I know David McGurk I spoke to recently said that you were very meticulous and I know that from research that John Rudge was kind of a that ilk as well
2: they all played Different part because Lloyd McMullamy was all about discipline. His meetings on a Friday, it was just interesting. You go back and you look back, it's on a Friday morning with Kevin Keegan. Alan Boar, Steve Williams and Mick Shannon. That used to be the four. And so I don't know what was said or whether he was asking their advice on picking the teams or coaching wise. There wasn't a lot of coaching with the big boys because they knew the game inside out. So uh, that was an interesting how Laurie set up. Then obviously I went to Blackburn on loan. Bobby Saxon was very, very good. Again disciplined but like organisation but you know we got the players together so there was a, a fantastic group togetherness which again you, you, you keep learning sometimes you can have all this authority but you, you keep doing it day in and day out got to give players a little bit of breathing space you know to, to
1: develop as persons but also have an opinion well, you played out in Sweden as well didn't you for a little bit again just to
2: go and keep playing and just go and have some experience so I went over there and said, thirdly but again I really really enjoyed like I say new culture meeting new people Uh it does help when, when you're in league as well so uh, no it was, it was a good time but it was just a case of I had to play keep playing games of football that's the only way that you do actually learn
1: yeah, I was bringing it on to John Rudge there so to, was he an influence the way that he was quite meticulous
2: no John was very quiet he was very shrewd in, in, the, in the in the transfer market we did have a, a lot of coaches you know um, he kept changing whether that was to keep him fresh to keep him on his toes and for <laughs> for the coaches to challenge him but no he, he was very good in the transfer market bought some good players but John wasn't really a coach it. I don't think he was comfortable on the coaching on on the training pitch. Whereas Brian Holt was different because me and Brian got on really well. as has been Dean Saunders at Oxford. he used to let, let us do our own things. So we try all our little tricks and flicks and play off each other. And uh, he said, "I'll just I'll just let you two get on with it." So there, there's a ways of people can approach players. But he was good. But by me, he he'd think it was a rollicking. Don't worry about that. You know. <laughs> so we used to know like changing door was coming off the injuries at half time. We used to sit and go, "Is it me or is it you this time?" But you respect that. You take it. You know. But we had that mentality that we wanted to go out and,
1: and actually prove him wrong, build, forge that relationship. And mm. fair play to me, he gave me a chance as a coach, and I certainly appreciated it. I think I read somewhere that I think it might have been Robbie Earle who, who played at Port Vale said that he made you feel incredibly guilty if you played very poorly in a game. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, well Robbie and Becky were there before me So uh, he did actually tell me a few porkies He said Robbie was staying You know, that was part of my agreement of signing You know, that Robbie would still be there But uh, I actually put pen to paper Then Robbie went two weeks later So, <laughs> so is football that, 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 was, that was a typical John Mertz
1: deal like, Trust me <laughs> so, so let's bring it on to York City You joined in yep. November 2008 After a short spell at Wrexham who we were in the same division Did you apply for the job Or did York approach you? I think I applied then phone me and then within probably i
2: think 24 hours i was meeting up with jason and his dad up at the services so it, it happened that quickly
1: and what were your first impressions of the club
2: uh, i always got back to uh, when we first went up there and uh, the, the uh the training pitches were terrible i can remember the first session i went there neil Woolman warmed them up and uh, i think i had a green ball two two orange balls about four white balls and i'm thinking oh my god some weren't pumped up there was hardly any bibs and this and that you know I'm thinking oh my god so anyway we did a session the boys come off they were covered in mud from head to toe and they said oh, I really enjoyed that gaff and I'm going right and they just winded me up here, or did they actually enjoy it <laughs> but they did but northern boys are completely different from southern boys you know they're, they're hard working they've sometimes been brought up with not a lot appreciate everything you do so our first aim was when we were up there really was to try and improve all the facilities so uh, we certainly did that with the training pitches uh, and even the gym behind the goal that entrance behind the back there and uh, what's, what's behind it and, and it was oh my god it was uh, the carpets were all rolled up the paint and this and everything like that we thought we can do something with this so uh, we got in contact with the college the, the club actually paid 500 quid for. It. they all come in, rubbed all the walls down painted it, got a sponsor to put the, the artificial down and, and, and it was all things like that that we were trying to build the club tower. and the players certainly appreciated it, well we certainly appreciated it because we played head tennis but we, uh, we made sure two players come <laughs> come after training every day and had to play us for money so me and Andy we were still quite tuned in and everything like that so we beat them every day so at least they used to pay for our tea and put in every Night. so funny they, were, they thought they were getting close to us and you know oh I'm lucky that yeah we we'll are sixteen next week so we used to get a new two every day you know, just to go and play head tennis it
1: brilliant. so it was almost <laughs> about sort of improving the professionalism and, and the team morale at the same time really it,
2: it needed it and then we made contact with uh, Roco Gym and then the boys were doing sort of like public appearances you know presentations for local football clubs and then the gym were absolutely brilliant with
1: us and, and I presume the remit initially was to get York climbing the table but looking back the budget was clearly stretched and you sort of wheel and deal to bring players in from Wrexham was the job tougher than you first imagined when you took it on yeah
2: it was there was no hiding places or anything like that Though some of the players weren't happy that's the usual case you never take a job really when things are going rosy and you're in the top five and you're doing really really well you know there's going to be problems within you never get the true facts or the thought of players until after a few weeks and it settles down but I can remember going in and having a meeting with them and everything like that and the boys come across they were genuine and I thought right okay so we just keep it simple and you know get ourselves a little bit fit a little bit of organization my organization the way i wanted to do it no disrespect to the previous manager or anything like that but they, they were flat so uh, but i went in there and there were some good boys in there dave McGurk, he pars ben Perkis. but then you had like good pros like Mike robinson and greavesy so i was actually going in i thinking half the group were all right and half the group didn't probably want to be there, which didn't, you know, didn't surprise me one bit. So I suppose in a way that you've got to try and get results, try and get the the harmony of the team right. But also, you're thinking one hour next season as well, how you can build it and how you can take the club forward.
1: And your first win was against Northwich in the FA Trophy, which was quite poignant, I guess, looking back, given that you got the club to the final of the competition. How proud were you to lead the team out at Wembley? And was it a different feeling to when you'd gone there as a player with Port Vale?
2: Um, I think... player player and management trust me is 100% completely different as a player you're more of a sort of like an individual and as a group but as a manager and and your assistant you're you're on your own you know what I mean so you've got to try and make sure that the boys get there I mean we we had a tough semi-final against Telford but I can remember going to watch them actually during the week before we actually played them and you know I think we played a short corner for the first goal and it worked great and and it's little things like that you know when you find these little tactical moments and you're thinking that set us up with a good I think was it 2-0 went from home and, and you know then we're looking forward to the second leg but to actually lead the team out yeah great fantastic you actually laugh about this because I don't think nobody ever ever picked on it they actually said they are going to lead the team out but I want the managers at both ends and you go right okay so I actually didn't lead the team out I was at the back so if you want to look back at the footage and, and that was me being naive or you know not being a manager or nobody really saying anything to me but I actually let uh, the captain help out and I was at the back <laughs> 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 so just because actually, actually when we went out I was actually on the end and that was my thinking thinking well if I'm on the end if I go out last I'll be on the end not thinking I'll lead the team out and then I'll just walk
1: along to the end so I thought that was funny but nobody ever picked up on that one well, I guess at least you had a chance the following year to uh, put put that right um, in in the final itself uh, you know I, I, yeah. I don't think you'd argue that we were probably well beaten on the day but it was a good day out for the fans how, how important was that running context to you being able to rebuild that summer
2: well I, I just think it shows a little bit of faith in the ones that have been there for a while you know Again, you go back to ringies T. Y. Danny Parslow. Like, I suppose they wanted to see something that the club was actually going forward. Mm. Um, so that, that gave them a little bit of taste of probably what could be achieved together as a group. Obviously, with with an influx of uh, new players, but we were well beaten. They were big and soft They were a good side. You look at some yeah. of them players of where they ended up. You know what I mean? So we thought, you know, to get there was it was an achievement at the time. But Adam Boys did have a great chance when he went clean through. That still sticks in my mind. But <laughs> that had gone in, the game might have changed. But you don't blame the boy but usually when it comes to finals there's always a defining moment we got caught we got caught on the first goal and should have done so much better with it but that gave them the chance to uh, to go on and get the win that they probably deserved
1: so about some of you signed 11 players including sort of paying fees for the likes of Michael Gash Neil Barrett Michael Rankin as well as bringing in the likes of Alex Lawless and James Meredith am I right in saying that you, you tried to persuade the club to sort of move away from signing local players and you wanted to sort of cast the net a bit wider I think, think you bought, did you get a house for the players to come in from there
2: was a plan where are we actually going to go there was no real monies so but it might have just gone up very very fractionally and everything like that I, I think I actually got blamed for getting rid of the reserves but I think it was more a case of can we get better quality in, less numbers for what we're going to try and do and achieve. So yeah, the, the house was important and Ross, who was uh, the commercial at the time, we got this house. It wasn't the club that paid for it. The boys that got in, they all chipped in and paid for it for themselves. But sometimes you, you, you get a little bit lucky. Sometimes you can live with certain people or whatever but the boys were absolutely brilliant. And they got in, they got together. Anything that we tried to do, we organised together as a group. They were there. They were never late. They were punctual in terms of coming back up the road. You know, obviously, I'd look after them, if they wanted to go back and have a couple of days that there was no problems at all with me you know, because they were making an effort to come up the road for me so think about it Alex Wallace James Meredith Gashin Barrett Banks was a little bit closer Adam Smith was a little bit closer Chris Crud has come up the road for me Levi Mackin and then you have Andy Farrell and, and then Luke Graham come in so uh, all the boys did their bit which I certainly appreciated but they actually had a taste of that
1: we were actually going to do quite well as a group so they settled in very very quickly and, and what, I know it's probably hard to tingle an individual out but was there a particular signing that you felt at the time was key or someone that you were desperate to get but you thought right if I can get this person over the line I think that gives us a real chance
2: I think it was more of trying to get a, a squad together you had a bit of competition for places you know like uh, Chris Clothers and James Meredith you know Chris Clothers could play in front one and then uh, Levi Muckin did such a good job that was probably very very underrated but then you had the likes of Alex Lawless that was clever and that could and then you had the two boys up front you know I could change the right hand side, Alex Laws could play there. Then I could tuck him inside and put Adam Smith on. You know, and Adam did very well as a that. So I think I just had that small group but it was enough that I could if wanted to form or whatever we could, we could
1: top and change really and what what was the recruitment process like were these players that you kind of scouted yourself or, or you were Andy Porter or, or were they people that impressed you when when you saw them play? I was thinking sort of James Meredith obviously he played for, for Telford didn't he was that the first time you'd seen him play for instance <laughs> no
2: I knew Mez from before because Paul uh, Simpson had him at Shrewsbury so I suppose he, he scouted a little bit previously but when I went to York I had nobody really to bounce off of. We couldn't afford a scout, we couldn't afford recruitment people. Um, so sometimes, yes, you can get a little bit lucky, and then you look back into the second year, and I, and I could have been better. You see, if you get 50% of your recruitment right, I, th- I think you're actually doing well if, if you're on your own. But the good thing was, it had to be decent characters. We, we couldn't take any bad eggs with a small group, but they all come in, and I, I can't say a bad word about one of them. They were that good together as a group.
1: Yeah, and the season itself started fairly slowly, and there was that subway incident in, in pre season. Which I won't dwell on, but but as a supporter, I felt once the side came back from behind to win at Gateshead in late August, There was kind of no looking back from there. I think you won sort of six of the next nine games. Was that the same yeah, for I- you? I wondered, you know, because that sort of showed a lot of good character coming back from from going to goal behind when when kind of the chips were down a little bit. Yeah,
2: I mean, I mean, you go back to the subway incident. I actually give the permission always come to me. Do you mind if we have a night out and everything? But unfortunately, there was a little instance which happens. But to be honest, it did actually galvanise us as a group. I give it the siege mentality. That everybody's against us, nobody wants us to do well. And he actually responded to it. And I think, like I so said, we went against him. I think, did you get sent off of that, I think? Or... And then we scored a, a late winner. Yeah, I, think, uh, I think it was that, you know. And then all of a sudden, yeah, like said, so we didn't look back. And, and we all know confidence is a big thing in football. And I think once we got one or two little niggles out of the way, because Alec Wallace missed, missed a bit to start with, and we got the side back and all we fits and jumping at the bit and, and believing in the South, then it, yeah, we, we did have a good run. And, and it was a good team. And I looked at the teams that were actually, playing against. You know, you, you have the Lutons, the Oxfords, the Crawleys, Wimbledons, Kiddermans, of Stevenage, and then you, you forget the likes of Wrexham, Cambridge, Mansfield, Ketter they, they were all paying way above what we were paying. That was a good job to, to find out. So you're thinking, we were doing well against an exceptionally good group. The, the conference was so, it was the top half were really, really good and the bottom half were sort of like okayish. Then the fixtures were so important because some of them smaller teams built their squad up to start with, at Start the season, and then after a while, you know they, they get safe. They start releasing players. So if you played some of them teams after Christmas, you had a great chance of winning games of football. But if you played them before when they were strong, <laughs> it was uh, it was a different story, and it was hard. it was a hard league.
1: And there's a lot of ex-league clubs in there as well, isn't there? Because as a York fan, we we almost struggle with with the idea of being in non-league because we've got a proud football league history. But so there's a lot of other clubs you mentioned there, Wrexham and Mansfield at the time, again, but both clubs spent a lot of time in the, in the football league.
2: It's just that you know, people have this expectation, you're thinking, you know, like your Wrexham, Wrexham thing, you've got a divine right to get out of a, a very, very hard, you know, and even the likes of Oxford, as with Oxford in the Premier League, well, the top league, and then all of a sudden their demise and everything like that, so we a lot of things with the name, but obviously you got to look at the infrastructure of the club and what they're spending and where they've gone. But we well, were bottom, no, we were we were low, but there was potential to, to try and do something.
1: And and a huge part of that of that success under your management was the unbelievable form of, of Richard Brodie, who, who I'm, I think you know I'm sure he would agree with me played his best football under your management. What improvements did you make to Richard, and and, and what was it coaching? Was it man management? Was it was it a bit of both? Because that that season in particular, I think he hit 37 goals or something. Ridiculous like that. I mean, he, he he was on fire pretty much the whole whole year.
2: Yes, sometimes in football, yeah, uh, you get to know people very very well. And, and Richards a good boy. Complicated. Like to see why he hasn't hit it off with other managers. You know, uh, I don't think all managers can, can be wrong. But he's a great boy. You know, I, I looked at him and I looked at his game and I thought, you know, he was raw, but he wanted to run around. He wanted to score goals, he wanted to challenge, and nobody liked playing against him. So sometimes you actually got to go and play to them strikers. There wasn't uh, how can you say a typical number 9 or 10 now that they come short, and they have a few touches, they play wide. I think you had to release them by just clipping balls down the side and over the top. So some people will, will say it's a long walk, is it heck? I was thinking if you've got good players, why can't you play to them? Uh, and I think it made Burns' game so easy, so easy for him. And, and the four boys that were behind him, others yeah. Lawless and Barrett and in they were good footballers you know what I mean so they could find it with a certain type of passes so getting a lot of work on the training ground but he certainly improved and again Richard's a confident boy and once he scores goals you, you know he's going to go on a little purple patch uh, but then it could quite easily go the other way and then you've just got to leave him alone and let him find it and, uh, and keep working with him on the training pitch
1: yeah and, and as well as going, going for promotion there was the run in the FA Cup beating Crew 3-2 in the first round which I thought was a you know great performance when your side's winning a game like that against league opposition, I think we were 2-1 down with five minutes to go, it, it, coming back to win 3-2 must be so satisfying as a manager, and I just wondered what the dressing room was like as well after a game like that. That was
2: a great game, and I mean, uh, both actually sent me some footage about about three months ago, He said, well, oh, remember this game, and I did actually play on YouTube, and I at and I thought, I don't usually look back, I'm one of those, I look forward and everything, but I actually looked back and I thought, actually, we were a good side, crew mm. were a very, very good side at that time, the winners that they had, and and uh, you know they caused us a few problems but I thought we played really well that day and, and deserved the win but you know to score late on with Boat's goal I mean that was, that was some goal by the way there wasn't a lot of publicity on it but I thought yeah from where he started
1: and it wasn't part of his game to do that he ran all the way didn't he and, and slotted it in so yeah no, that was great that was great for us and, and facing your old rivals in round three must have been a nice sort of moment for you but I mean you ought to give a good account of themselves on the day but did you sort of lament not having better preparation because of Kind of traveling late and and not getting there till three o'clock.
2: I I mean, cruise the local side for me, and then I thought we were first out of the draw Stoke City and York City. I went, Usually
1: I like to get sort of like halfway through the draw. No, I don't want them, or yeah, can we have those? And yeah, it was
2: was the first one out, and I went, Okay, then my phone never stopped ringing. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go, here we <laughs> go. And he makes the stokies and everything like that. So, but uh, yeah, it was much fun and preparation. It was good, but it was actually the build-up. I mean, we, we financially, you know, we we couldn't afford to have overnight stays, so we had to accept it. But the snow was getting a little bit heavy. Obviously, we made our way down, myself, Andy, Paul, and one or two others. Then all of a sudden, the snow come bad and bad and bad. And then obviously there was crashes on the 62. Then the kickoff got delayed. And I know Tony <laughs> he said, but to oh, says that oh, I thought you'd have been more prepared. Paid for this, I said. Tony, I said, I'm not a Premiership side where we can afford overnight snakes. Got part-time players, and I said, this is the way it is. But. Once we actually got warmed up and ready and, you know, we had a good away support, which is fantastic. It was great to see behind the uh, the away goal. We took the lead and I tell you, we had them, we had them rocking, you know. And then again, boy the lap, long throw and something else. And it was just putting pressure on after pressure. And I think once equalised, I thought we were still in the game. But then we got caught again with the long throw flick on. And, uh, and all of a sudden, then it was out of our reach. But no, we, we did well, but definitely 100% preparations. I've got to be so much
1: better. And that comes with finances. How as a manager did you prepare for that Rory De long long throw? Because it was so like, everyone knew about it at the time, didn't they? But I'd imagine it's so different to every other team that you're preparing against and players that you're preparing against. It was so unique, wasn't it? it- it was
2: unique, but the thing was, it wasn't like a, one of those long ones that just logs in and just like flops down. It was just going over everybody's head by about three, four inches and it just kept a good trajectory. And you're going, wow, oh, that's the best throw I've ever seen. And they had big lads, we had big lads. They won the first ball, should have cleared the second ball should have cleared it but we didn't we got a call and he got across I think it was uh, actually Danny Parslow at the time and it went in and our heads
1: did drop after that but we made a good account of ourselves After a bit of a blip in form in, in February and early March the, the team sort of picked up form right at the right time towards the end of the season and beating Wimbledon 5-0 in April I think I think was performance of the season for me w- Were you confident kind of not just making the playoffs after a game like that but winning them based on that form? We,
2: we were just trying to close that gap Wimbledon were a good side and I can remember it was, it was a midweek game wasn't it? And we, and we certainly played well and I think that sent a message then to all the players that come on we, we, we can actually do better here we can get a run going again get into them playoffs and then just don't know can, can you catch the top two can you catch the top three just trying to get up and up and up but once we cemented ourselves in there we were then starting to plan really who we are going to play
1: probably in the playoffs and and on the playoffs itself playing Luton who, who were hot favourites despite the fact we'd sort of drawn with them I think twice during the regular season sort of tactically what, what was your plans going into those teams? Two games
2: well, but the money was uh, I've known that for years, and I thought, right, okay, this is going to be a very, very first tough, tough leg at home. And it was very tight, they, they did have chances, we had chances. I remember it being absolutely packed out and it was bouncing. And you're thinking, right, okay, these, these are the atmospheres, these are the games that you want yourself but also your players to play in. And then we go and score was it last kick of the games? So it was a long ball, I think, from Ingi uh, Banks flicked it on, both went through. And it was a hard finish, really, because he actually took it with his laces and it finished in the bottom corner, but that just gave us a little bit of a platform. So, the first game was a little bit knuckle and cranny. do we do this? Do we do that? We don't want to concede, and it's quite nervous the first game. But you know, they caused us problems, but we come away with a clean sheet and a goal. And then, well, I can remember us having a team meeting about two or three days later. And I think the players actually wanted to hear me say it it's quite easy that we could go there, we we'll sit tight, this and that. So, we went there with the we game plan, we, we were actually 4 4 2, what we've been playing. And I said, Look, we're going for the first goal, we are going to go and score that first goal. Once we score that first goal, we're going to change to 4 3 Because I watched them, you know, and I knew how they played and everything like that. And tactically, I personally, that was probably one of my best games as a manager, tactically. Because, hey, you know, we took the lead, uh, and went to score, the scored. Uh, and then we changed it and went to 3 3 And they couldn't handle us. They couldn't handle us. Although they had one chance towards the end there. But became worthy of winners, but there was a lot of hassle that day. It was, it was a day to remember, but, but also a day to forget with with
1: what went on. Yeah, that, that, that was kind of coming onto that a, a little bit later on. I mean, everyone knows the scenes that, that occurred post-match, but how were you personally affected? Were, were you caught up in it? Were, were you able to kind of get down the tunnel? <laughs>
2: I get a bit of stick from Steve me and Andy Porter for this but my experience let's put it that way I've played at before and uh, I know what they're like there and I just had this feeling when he blew the final was so, it was ecstatic for everybody yeah, you know, so I my mean, coaches they all went running to the fans and everything like that but I just clocked the left hand side and I went mm, this is getting nasty and they're getting closer they were mm. coming onto the pitch so I started jogging across well how I got to that dugout I never know because there was sticks, stones, coins you name it it was bouncing off the back of the game and everything like that, and I just I just got in. I have two coppers there, and I, I don't I think they were trying to hide rather than look after me. So I did actually get up there, and then was the other one. So we got to change, and just thinking, come on there. So I thought, where is everybody? <laughs> so it was quite funny. So me and then were just sat there going, yeah, well done, Biggin You know, um, yeah, great. Uh, we're going to Wembley, but where's everybody else? So we actually got back down the tunnel just to have a quick look out the corner of our eye. But well, we got absolute dogs abuse when we just like to, up. and we could just see that the obviously the players the and everybody was going back into the crowd. We felt sorry for our own supporters. But it was it was a scary, scary moment watching it, you know, then after a time one of the two would actually venture back into the uh into the changing room and then Broads come down with the steward's hat on and the Steward's coat on. <laughs> 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 and we sneak down the side there, I don't know, but you know, knowing Broads he was picking up the pound coins on the
1: way. So, so Wembley again um, I felt last time as a fan I was kind of going in hope Rather than expectation But but this time It felt like the stars Were aligning for, for York City Particularly after the Luton match Where it had been so resolute So how do you then feel As a manager When, when your team and characteristically sort of 2-0 down In such a big game In, in, in such a short space of time What, what was going through your head? I, I suppose I, I, I knew the staff opposite, so I, I played with
2: With two of them So uh, You look back And you're thinking What could you have done better When we played Oxford Earlier on in the season you know our team actually got leaked out to them so that was one thing Uh, I wasn't happy chatting you know when I found out that one of our players had told Oxford our line out and I got told they found out in the the final what our team was so uh...
1: by a player sorry
2: yeah, but when I mean, you look back now, and you're thinking it's usually one that's out the side. Or So I I, I got to know who it was and whatever, but I'm not going to name names now. But they knew our team home game when we played them nil-nil in, in the league, but they also knew our team in, in the final. Because I, I'm a manager that likes to prepare like a, a Thursday and a Friday prior to a game. And uh, I thought, do I? Don't I? Because they knew the team before, and I thought, well, they know the team, the second team. But... Obviously, you've got to work on things, so uh, we worked on things and everything like that and yeah, they found out, so yeah, maybe I should have maybe not made the team and uh, and kept it to uh, to the changing room. So that's learning, that's learning.
1: And were you, because York City got the, the own goal, didn't they, just before half-time to make it 2-1? I'd imagine then that your team talk would have been completely different to what it would have been, say, if a whistle had blown a minute before.
2: You look back and you're thinking, you know, again, defining moments in the final, which we, we probably did make a couple of mistakes for the goals probably unusual for the ones that actually did sort of get caught up in the goals but yeah Chris Grudders deep cross come in and, and give, give us the emphasis you know and then they, they changed their formation seat so <laughs> as much as you like and I'm thinking they knew our team that, that was my gut feeling and, and I, I was right afterwards a few years down the line when you made to speak, and everything mm. like that you know and I worked
0: with certain personnel and
2: so the, they played four-three-three, and they kept it very tight and narrow uh, but second half we come out we pushed uh, Mez on and Ben Perks on to take is uh, it Constable Midsamba all of a sudden, it, it it was it was all us, you know. I thought we were playing well, and I think Gashy had a great chance. And somebody else had a great chance, and and I just thought well, we've got a great chance of it. Oh, a, you know, we kept pressuring and pressuring and pressuring, and uh, yeah, we I think we threw most people up to the corner. They broke away and scored the winner. Probably from the first half, they deserved it, but now sitting there, forty thousand supporters, you know, <laughs> it did. and I played for Oxford as well. Then I, mean, I was gutted. I was mm. really gutted because I wanted one for us.
1: Yeah, because the, the second half, the team certainly rallied, didn't they? And <laughs> I felt as a fan that if we'd have got that equalised, and I think Michael Rankin probably had the best chance, then I could have seen us sort of going on to extra time and, and, and maybe winning it. But how did you rally them at half-time? What were you like in the dressing room in general sort of when, when your team were losing? You've
2: got to mix it. I mean, if you, if you keep coming in and ranting and raping every time, players switch off yeah so it's a mix sometimes you know you come in bad sometimes you, you don't say it sometimes it's reverse psychology but it, it, I think sometimes you've got to look at the players that are in there I, you know, I used to line a couple up before if I wanted to have a well. I'm coming in at half time so no, I'm coming for you first I'm coming for you so if you go for the senior ones first and then the others except oh, so sometimes you used to prepare it so Luke Graham or Dave McGirt say well I'm coming for you two first yep no problem so you have a little go at them and then you throw it elsewhere so mm. there's a little bit of cleverness in it <laughs> yeah I could moan but I just wanted the standards so high I just wanted it so much for them you know I wanted them to be professional footballers to get out the non-league to, to go where well, I've always played in the league enjoy it make a good career make some money and try and win something but it was all about them you know and I was one of their managers that I was more concerned about them and their careers probably more than, than me own I know it sounds silly but it was absolutely true
1: and Was it ever hard for you as someone who I've just sort of thought of this now but maybe someone who has played at such a high level to then work with players in the non-league was there any sort of difficult sort of transition period with that
2: probably at first you know where, where you're you trying to get your standards in training and, and probably the quality whether you're working with the strikers hold up play or whether you're finishing and they might be missing chances and it, it was just little things like that or sort of like probably the football education in terms of shape and throughout the fullback you know when the ball's here just trying
1: to get in, and some it, it took longer than others to actually apply it to their own game yeah how dejected were you after that Oxford game oh
2: I was I was absolutely gutted and you look back in hindsight the boys were great maybe I should have praised them a lot more after the game I didn't have a moan I, was, it was, I don't think I hardly said much at all I was absolutely gutted for them they've done so much for me we, we worked so hard to get where we had to get but we'd just come up short and maybe I should have said look you've had a fantastic season compared to all the, the big budget teams that are in the league we've done so well to get there I should have praised them probably a lot more but I was just so tired and gutted that sometimes you come away from it and I probably didn't say enough is probably what I should have said
1: to him. I mean you left in September of, of the next season which is quite early on. Was that on your mind since Wembley? Did you feel like you'd maybe taken the team as far as you could and obviously you lost Richard Brody fairly early on as well which was a huge loss and you resigned as well which I think is quite unusual in the modern modern day isn't it? A lot of managers kind of tend to be sacked and, and, and leave like yeah. that but but you resigned yourself. Do you have any regrets about that? Of course
2: you look back and think, yeah. But sometimes yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit old school in a lot of ways um, I like things done properly it was just I think it was the case of playoffs obviously was later we hardly had a, a turnaround in terms of time we knew we had to recruit uh, and, and that was probably my biggest downfall that I probably recruited too quickly because we only had like weeks before we started preseason, and we probably didn't have enough to, to fill an 11 minutes so I thought i probably dived into a few decisions but this is what comes down to recruitment I didn't have the time I, I think I hardly had a holiday I was you know you, you are tired you know because there was a lot of things that went on and then obviously we start the season okay and then like I said losing Boat was a big blow but put me chairman's hat on I think Colchester offered 120 and Crawley offered 250 so as a chairman well, there there's only one place he was going to go because yeah. Colchester couldn't the money but John Ward would have been a great fit for uh, for Boat uh, Steve Evans was the Opposite, you know, so I I thought Bro's just going into a minefield personally. I didn't want him to go, but the club can't turn down 250 grand for anybody.
1: No, of course not. And and did Jason ever try to talk you out of resigning and leaving York City? What what was your relationship like with him?
2: With the McGill's, they were absolutely fantastic people. I had no problems whatsoever but things things started to get a little bit tough on the inside so you think about it you know when you're actually a job you're doing the warm-ups you're a fitness coach you're an analyst we didn't have anything in that term so I had to be recruitment then um, they, they had to sack uh, the table for something like I can't remember what it was and we, we couldn't put anybody else in a position so me and Andy Porter, just because it was all about the players not about ourselves we said look oh, we gonna carry on until or not we can bring somebody in and it was going on for uh, probably two months, if not longer. So me and Andy Ports were were coming in. Well, we were putting the kit in at night, coming in in the mornings. We were drying it. So it was it was ridiculous. It was embarrassing to be honest. But there was no way around apparently that legally that we could bring somebody else in to take somebody else's job until it was all sorted. So that wore us out. And and, and I, to be honest, hindsight now looking back, I say I'm not doing it because I wanted it for the boys and you know to, mm. to make sure that we could carry on our good work and everything that we had done that tipped me over the top yeah I was absolutely mentally shattered And people say oh you know was it the last game of Mansfield no no, it was nothing to do with that nothing right. at all I know Jonathan Smith got sent off in the game and Jonathan lost his rag and something else but that's why we lost the game lost our discipline but, um, no I was just absolutely shattered and no, I just said oh, I've had enough and uh, you know he was also going blah blah, blah and, oh, Please, you know please don't go blah 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 I said look yeah. I said to You know, I'm tired. You know, I want to go back with my family. He thought I had another job lined up. And I said, Jason, I've worked with you for, for long enough. I'm honest. I've got nothing, I have no intentions, I've got to find other work. And then I actually went to watch Lincoln about two days later with the mate, he said, oh, I'm going to Lincoln, do you fancy jumping up? I went, yeah, I'll jump with your car." come on, have a good chat in a bit. Got spotted in Lincoln, and obviously, I think the Lincoln manager got set. I think the day before I went to that game. <laughs> and obviously I'm there, and he's thinking, Then Jason phones me, said, so, oh, you're going to Lincoln, aren't you? I went, Jason, what have I said to you? Okay, give me words. And I'm an honest person, I said, I did what? No intentions to you know, to Lincoln or anybody else. I said I'm going home. Then he they trusted me after that. You know, what I mean, he
1: believed every everything I was actually saying. Yeah. So, so once you'd had that break, I mean, you had had some good spells in management at Hereford and Northwich but they were both under financial constraints. Were they Has that put you off management? That was sort of again that talk about York City being quite mentally draining. Which, listening to what you've you've said there, I, I can imagine it being. But with even more financial constraints, like at Hereford and finance has always come in with teams that are sort of right lower down. The tier. So probably no different
2: than probably quite a few other managers. It was. I suppose the most disappointing thing was that when I left, and Jason was asking who to recommend, said who could I work with because I could only work with certain people. I recommended him Gary Mills. gary's never bought me a drink from this day, or never phoned me to say thank you. But <laughs> it was. It was. I recommended him, so he went. He went elsewhere. Happened for him, you know. So that was that was good, and you know, so Gary took him on to the next level. But, but Jason that like I said they were good people. You know, they wanted the best for York City. But I had made my own personal decision that I was absolutely not doing everything when really the kit man come in the next day when Gary came in, somebody else come in, somebody else go and all of a sudden the finances and, and everything went out that <laughs> you know, rocketed and the thinking, why weren't they there when I was there? But no, I suppose that's the things you get a little bit jealous about.
1: You're obviously at Motherwell now and, and you're highly thought of but I wondered if is that it for you now as a manager or, or are you tempted to get back into management at some point? No
2: I've actually I've actually had two or three opportunities uh, and also first team coach but I'm thinking do I don't like it's not a case of resting on your laurels I'm actually working for a fantastic manager Steve Robinson good club good honest people which is probably the first probably second time I've had that in my career and I'm a great believer in loyalty and everything like that they've been absolutely spawn with me never questioned a thing you know obviously we brought players in sold them on always done well in the transfer market but the manager's been great with me I can go up I can coach tactically I'm involved in everything in and and the aspect about team selection, so uh, I thought. Being a big part of the club and that's all down to him you know so he's shown me his loyalty and so I'm showing it back I've could have gone to probably to other places as well recruitment wise but no I, I, I stood still because you know, I'm, I'm a great believer that he's looked after me I've helped him and we've certainly got a, a, a great connection you know working together which which is something that I actually enjoy
1: Well it's been a genuine ple- pleasure to speak to Martin and I'm really glad that you're still involved in football and uh, I hope you've enjoyed going back over your memories No
2: no no they're, 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 there's a there's, there's good thing that uh, a club of York City should never never be in there he, he made their Dave penny now so I know that they'll be in good hands working alongside Jason to try and get the club back to, to where it is but they've got to get the structure there right and Steve Watson Mickey Connor's a former player as nice, you well know, so uh, they're in good hands and hopefully that this year will be ideal for them and they can get back in there and I uh, say they're
1: in, in that new stadium Oh well, I, truly, I truly hope so Martin Fowler speaking to us Hope you enjoyed that. I was really keen to get another manager on the podcast after the success of Gary Mills and thanks to Richard Brody for putting me in touch with Martin. I knew that those two were still in contact so seemed like an obvious link to follow up there. I thought Martin was really, really revealing there and I think you could probably tell from my reaction about the player leak in the uh, the team lineup That was certainly news to me. It has to be said, Martin's a really difficult person to pin down. He's, he's massively busy in his job as a, a scout for Motherwell. Every time I was contacting him he seemed to be in a different part of the country so it was good to get him finally tied down and uh, on a random Sunday night to go through his York City memories and I I hope the supporters enjoyed hearing uh, his thoughts on on those uh, times. It's incredible really when you think he was only in charge for one full season but his time was certainly uh, eventful to say the least so thanks again Martin for, for doing that for us. And again, thanks to Planning Prospects for sponsoring the series. Planningprospects.co.uk if you want some more information. It's also justgiving.com forward slash your Radio. if you're happy to give us a donation and you enjoy listening to these podcasts. Um, I'm not in a position that I'm going to start making it a, a Patreon type thing where people have to pay for it. want to try keep it free, but if you can donate, it really does help us keep them going and, and keep the service of your Hospital Radio going. And finally, once again, thank you for listening. Really appreciate your feedback and, and your support. And like I said, spreading the word is, is a really big thing for us we want as many York City fans to to listen to these as possible because we think that they represent a a good part of York City's history and and, and gives people context to some of the games they've been to and I I think in these tricky times podcasts have have been quite comforting to some people and and people can get a lot out of them So, so please do keep spreading the word and see you next week for the final podcast of the series